Hello and welcome. You're listening to Outstanding in Their Field, an agricultural literacy discussion. This podcast is brought to you by New York Agriculture in the Classroom and the Iowa Agriculture Literacy Foundation as we explore how agriculture meets some of our most basic needs of food, fiber, and fuel. We'll hear from educators who are creatively teaching and inspiring their students in food and agriculture. And we'll hear from industry experts showing the technology and science of modern agriculture and food production. One of the sweetest times of the year in the Northeast is spring, because it is sugaring season. With the weather turning into warm days and nights below freezing, the sap begins to run from maple trees, marking the beginning of maple syrup production. A crop unique in its history, geography, and technology, we embrace the lessons that can be taught by better understanding our natural world, all through the science and art of making maple syrup. Maple production for most producers in New York is a supplemental income, but the magic of maple season does more than create a natural sweetener. It builds community and continues family tradition. In this episode, you will meet a duo of exceptional teachers who turn their 8th grade students into a maple corporation. But first, you'll meet Jake Mosier, one of the three brothers involved in Mosier's Maple. Jake's family has been sugaring for over 100 years, and you will hear about what has stayed the same in that time and what the three brothers have changed to modernize their maple syrup operation and create a booming online business. As a note, Jake and I recorded this podcast at the New York State Maple Conference, so please excuse any background noise while listening to this great interview. So I'm Jake Mosier. Our family operation is Mosier's Maple LLC. I consider our start date as April 13th, 1904. You run your operation with your brothers today, is that correct? Yes. Yep. So it's me and my two brothers. I'm the youngest in the family. Um, my oldest brother, Ryan, and then uh, the middle brother, Donald. Um, so yep, the three of us had the operation. We took it over from my father about 10 years ago. And how has your operation changed since taking over from your father? Oh, um, well, technology is definitely one. Basically, when Dad had the operation, we were very basic. We still had the bucket on the tree. We did have some maple tubing lines going from tree to tree, but it was all gravity fed, just you know, by the natural pressure the tree produces. And since we've taken over, we've started adding different technologies, um, vacuum technology to the tubing system. We've added reverse osmosis for separating the sugar molecules away from the water molecules and the sap to increase our efficiency while we're boiling. Yeah, that is quite a bit of technology change that you've had in a kind of a short amount of time. How has your production changed because of adding some of those technological pieces? Uh, well, basically when Dad ran the operation, uh, we're actually a small maple producer by the maple industry. We only have around 1,700 taps, and our normal season used to be about 200 gallons of maple syrup. Uh, since we've added these other technologies, our annual crop now is between 650 and 700 gallons of syrup. And that's with the same number of taps, the same 1,700 and, taps. That's the same number of taps, same number of trees. A lot of the trees actually are um, Philip Mosier who started to actually tap those trees. 
That's incredible. I mean, just uh, some changes, investments, and technology in the amount of output that you're able to continue to get today. Now, could you talk a little bit more? You know, the reverse osmosis process is something that's pretty common now, I would say, in most uh, mid or large scale maple operations. And you're really just kind of condensing or you're, you're making that sap, um, you're concentrating it in a way um, so that there's less water you have to um, evaporate out. Is that right? Yeah. So my, the best example I have is my 12-year-old daughter likes to explain it, is that she calls it a super water filter. And all it is is we're using a specialized filter under pressure that has um, different layers. Each layer has a different size opening so that the sugar molecule, since it is larger than a water molecule, gets trapped in each layer. So when it finally passes through the complete filter, what we have is we have two products. We have what we call permeate water, or it is a purified water, and we have what we call concentrate, which is the super sweet sap. Uh, it's the same idea as your desalination plants that you see along the ocean, except us maple producers, we're a little backwards. On a desalination plant, you want the purified water, and believe it or not, for maple producers, that is actually our wastewater. We use that to clean off. What we want is the concentrated maple sap. What's the joy of permeate is because it is so pure on our equipment, maple syrup has something within it called niter or sugar sand. It's a, it's a mineral deposit and, and this purified water will actually attract the molecules of the niter like a magnet. So when we go to clean off, it's actually attracting that stuff off our equipment to help clean it easier without having to use any kind of powerful detergents or anything. Uh, so maple isn't a full-time job for most people, and it's really dictated by weather in a very specific season. What has been your career path, and how does maple fit into that? Actually, um, I went to college to become a school teacher, believe it or not. And 23-year-old Jake made it to student teaching, and he realized that other people's kids were not part of his future. <laughs> so, uh, basically, uh, I went and talked to my advisors and they said that, you know, I had enough credit hours to get a history degree. I stepped into the construction field because I was young and, and, you know, I enjoyed it. It was something, it was hands-on, everything, and, and to go along with the maple operations, it was useful skills to help dad out and to help us out once we took it over for the maple operation. Later in life now, what's happened is, of course, I'm, I'm getting older and, and I'm starting to feel the wears and tears of construction for 20 years. I've actually um, ventured into politics and currently I am the Lewis County County Clerk and Commissioner of Deeds. That's really, really impressive. And I think you're right, so many of your skill sets from your history degree to construction, to now working in a field where you're in a service industry, how everything kind of plays in together to enhance or uh, make your maple operation better. You know, I had a chance to go visit your, your new sugar house while it was in construction and to see the care and the detail and the precision that you're able to put into building that facility exactly the way you'd, you want it to, to be efficient and also to meet customer needs. Could you tell us a little bit about your addition to your sugar house and how that has changed your operation? 
Yeah, so part of the new sugar house was for many years we were operating actually out of three households because it's a monetary hobby is the best way to put it. So when we decided to build a new facility, we, just, we wanted to bring in a kitchen because 80% uh, of our product actually goes into what is what we call value added. So part of the sugar house is a 24 by 48 kitchen and we were able to bring in different equipment to make our value added side a lot more efficient. My best example is actually springtime when we're in maple production isn't our busiest time of the year. Our busiest time is between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And what this has enabled us to do previous years when I had orders to fulfill, it would easily be three to four hours a night after I got done working um, every night of the week. And now with the new kitchen, me and my two brothers go in and a lot of times on an eight hour day on a Saturday, we've fulfilled all our orders for the week and going into the next week. So sometimes our students and even adults think that the syrup runs right out of the tree, but it's sap, essentially water with sugar. Walk me through the process of how you turn clear, watery sap into thick, dark, and sweet maple syrup. So before we start that, we'll go back just a little farther yet. And basically, maple sap is, if we're all aware that plants and trees, they go through this process of photosynthesis. So the maple sap is actually what the tree is drawing up from the ground, the groundwater, and then within its root structure and tree fibers is where the sugar lays. And this is what feeds the tree to grow leaves during during springtime. So what we're doing is we're taking advantage of Mother Nature's photosynthesis to the tree while we're collecting the sap. For every 100 gallons of sap, you know, we're getting two gallons of syrup. Which is why that reverse osmosis process is so important to your operation. Yes, yep. Yeah, it's a, it's a game changer. With simple math, if I have 1,500 gallons of 2% maple sap and passing through our membrane or our you know super water filter as my daughter calls it. If we just increase that to 6% sugar content, what I'm left with is a thousand gallons of purified water and only 500 gallons of maple sap to boil. And what that comes into the sugar house is, is about a 50% savings in fuel and time while we're cooking it down in the sugar house. What time of the year do you usually head out and start tapping those trees and how does that work and when are you doing that? Okay, so generally our season in New York will start oh mid-February to late February and it will extend to the you know mid to end of April. Some of the western side of the Maple Belt they're actually tapping around Christmas time and their season will end around Valentine's and to the northern part a lot of times they're not tapping until April to mid-April and they're ending sometime just before June. So actually there's a pretty broad spectrum across the maple belt of, of when it is. For our operation, what was generally known was when we used to tap with a bucket on a tree, uh, your maple season would last anywhere between four and six weeks. Under a vacuum system, basically all we're doing is we're adding a vacuum pump to vacuumize the line. And the advantage of this is, is we're actually not sucking the sap 
out of the tree, what we're doing is we're creating our own barometric pressure within the tubing system and in the tree, and we're fooling the maple tree into that it wants to release more of the sap out of the hole that we've drilled in the tree because water, of course, will pass through the path of least resistance, and that's what our tap hole is. So by doing this under vacuum, we have actually extended our season from four to six weeks from anywhere from eight to 12 weeks. So with that vacuum system, you're collecting at a central location, and then how do you transport that from the woods, your sugar bush, to your sugar house? We have a couple different ways. So um, we have some woods that aren't connected to the sugar house. They're actually in the woods. So what we'll do is we'll take a four-wheel drive tractor, we'll wagon, and a gathering tank. Old gathering tanks used to be out of galvanized steel. Since then, since maple's in a movement to be more food friendly, we'll either use food grade plastic or stainless steel and we'll pull up to our tank in the woods and we'll just transfer the sap from the woods tank to the tractor and that will go back to the sugar house. And then for our operation, we have another system that actually flows right directly into the sugar house, which makes, makes it a lot handier, a lot, lot less labor intensive. And so is the first step after you get it back to the sugar house, is it to go through the reverse osmosis process? Yep. So we'll run it through a filter process to take out all the large solids. And then once it gets to there, um, it goes into our holding vat that is fed directly into the reverse osmosis. And then from there, when you have your concentrated product, is it then piped right into your evaporator? Yep, so after the raw sap passes through the reverse osmosis machine, it gets pumped into something that we call a head tank. And generally the head tank will sit anywhere between two to four foot higher than the evaporator because our evaporators or our cookers are gravity fed. So there's no pumps pumping up into it, it's just natural gravity feeding the evaporator. And can you explain for somebody who's never seen an evaporator before, what does it look like, what's the structure, and then um, you're getting a lot of steam, so where does that all go as you boil down the water? There's normally two sections of an evaporator, um, what we call a front pan or a flat pan, and a back pan or what we call a flue pan. What your flue pan is, every inch, inch and a half, it has what we call flues. On a regular pan, it will be somewhere around 14 inches high, and within that, it has eight inch deep flues. And the idea of this is it breaks up the large column of, of sap or water, so it boils at a more vigorous rate. What happens is it enters the evaporator and through this process called gradient, the less dense liquid will actually push the dense liquid around our evaporator. So when it hits the front pan or our flat pan, that also has dividers that's separating it to help out this gradient process. So through just um, controlling some valves and, and basically mother nature, uh, when our syrup hits seven degrees above the boiling point of water, what we're able to do is open up our valve and we have pure maple syrup. And now are you testing it throughout the process or you just know when it hits that seven degrees above boiling that it's ready? Where we take the syrup off the pan or our draw off 
we have a thermometer there that we boil in water every day to reset it to make sure we're at the right temperature. And what we'll do is we'll draw it off at what we feel is the right temperature. And then we have a hydrometer. And all a hydrometer does is checks density of your liquid. So in the United States, to be pure maple syrup, it has to have 66 bricks or 66% syrup. Now that it's syrup, it's not sap anymore, it's been boiled down and you have a syrup product, what happens then? Are you immediately putting that into cleaned bottles? Does it go through another filter process? So um, there's a couple different processes of filtering syrup. Some of your smaller maple producers that have maybe a couple hundred trees, a lot of times they'll just run it through as simple as a coffee filter to clean it up because they're not making that much syrup at, at one time. With our size operation, bigger operations, we have something that's called a filter press. And all it is is it's a series of plates and filters and it's operated by a pump. And all we're doing is we're drawing the syrup off into like our draw-off tank is what we call it. And we're just sucking the syrup out of that and we're pushing it through this series of filters to take out the, the sugar sand to give it this nice clear sparkling appearance. And from there where it will go is either into a syrup drum that will fill and cap off or we'll pump that right into what we call our canner or bottling unit where we can start to bottle if you notice some bottles of maple syrup. Yeah, so you do a little bit of both, right? You're saving some in big, like 55 gallon drums to make your maple candies or your maple creams, but you're also just selling it retail in a quart size or pint size or gallon size jug, is that right? Yes. You're doing more of the candies and confections than you are the syrup product? Yes. Now, we talked a little bit about the process, how that syrup goes from tree to final product, but the spring, like you said, is really not even your busiest time of the year, and there's lots of things that have to happen in a maple operation outside of uh, spring. So what are some of the things that you do outside of the regular maple season for upkeep or to continue your value-added business? Because we do have tubing lines going from tree to tree, you always have a maintenance for that to make sure that if you have any limbs fall down that they get cleaned up and everything. And and ultimately on the wood side, we're, we're the steward of our woods. You know, we, we want this woods to keep producing for generations to come. So we go through selective thinning processes each year to make sure that anything that is not of value is getting eliminated to give new growth you know, a chance to come up for the next generation. On the value-added side, uh, once we're done producing, that's when the value-added market really starts kicking in. So now, yes, we're done making syrup, but we're doing other products like the maple candy, your maple cream, granulated sugar, and, and then, you know, like a maple mustard barbecue sauce like that. And what the value-added does is it, it gives us a chance to, I guess, extend our season into a year-round business. Now, just to switch gears a little bit, as I watched you make candies this morning in your workshop, and as we talk about all the all the things that you do on a daily basis or manage, I really see that there's a science and an art to sugaring. So do you think that uh, making maple syrup and sugar products, is it more of an art to you or more of a science? It's a little bit of both. How's that? Setting up your woods and boiling the syrup, that's more of a science. On the value added side, that's kind of where the art form 
comes in. As you saw Katie in the class today, I can take the same syrup and I can make three distinctly different products with that same syrup. Or even further, like what I did in my class today, I made three completely different textured products within the same product with the same syrup. And that is all just manipulating my boiling temperatures and my cooling temperatures and how I stir it and everything else. I thought it was just really impressive just to see the way you would look at that product and know that it was ready or know that it needed more time or what type of texture you'd get from that product if you were to start stirring it then. I just thought that was really interesting and it was it really looked like an art form. We've talked about a lot of things, but my, my last question for you today is, why is it that you do what you do? Honestly, I don't know if I know any different. I grew up in the industry. It just seemed to fit. I mean, going through high school and college, if you would look at my math and science grades, I was a C-plus student at its very best, okay? But you take that same arithmetic, once you take out all the complicated equations, and if I could just see the problem at hand and work my way through it with common sense, I realized that, you know, I could do it. George Rogers and Kitty Eldridge are the science and math teachers on the 8th grade STEAM team at the Malone Middle School. George and Kitty's 8th grade team is the definition of collaborative, especially when it comes to their yearly maple syrup project. Each spring, all classes stop for maple season because these teachers turn their students into employees in a maple syrup corporation. We consider this project-based learning at its finest, and it shows the ripple effects of empowering students to make decisions and lead projects. I'm Kitty Eldridge. I'm an eighth grade math teacher here at the Malone Middle School. I'm George Rogers. I teach science at Malone Middle School, and I've been teaching for about 19 years now. Malone Middle School, just to give you a picture of what it looks like, it's a school within the village of Malone. Malone's a small town about 10 miles from Canada. We've got about 500 students, and Kitty and I teach on one of the two eighth grade teams. We teach about 95 students. And so I really would love to get into your paths for teaching. I think your stories are both really interesting. So how did you get to teaching in a classroom? What did it look like? How, why did you want to be a teacher? Mine was kind of by accident. I actually was an accounting major and because I'd taken so many math courses, I decided one day to take an education class and I just loved it. I fell in love with it. I feel like I've been blessed to find my calling. I can't imagine doing anything else. So I came through teaching uh, kind of in an alternative way too. I was living up in Alaska with my wife. I was working for the Bureau of Land Management up there. And my wife and I decided to apply to Teach for America. We ended up teaching for a couple of years down in rural North Carolina. And here we are, here I am 19 years later, and it is a good job. They say that jobs involving public service and working for others are the most satisfying jobs. I find that to be true. You're not going to get rich, but you're going to feel good at the end of the day. So, uh, And I've stuck with it, and, I, uh, and I'm glad I did. So each spring, you lead an intensive project-based learning experience for your students around Maple. Can you give us the mile-high look at what this project is? 
So we scraped up enough money to buy a small evaporator, enough stuff to get us going. And if, you know, if you were to look at the middle school, you would think, I don't see a sugar bush. I don't know how you can, you can pull that off. But we do have a, a number of big, high-producing maples in the village. And then we also realized, you know what, we can send our kids home. They can tap trees at home. So suddenly, getting the sap wasn't a problem. We figured we could do that. Uh, but then the, the problem becomes, how do you take 90 kids and, and keep them all busy for two or three weeks in the spring? So it was kind of an overwhelming idea, but everybody on the team was very into it and said, let's try it. So we structured it as a business, and then we started by thinking what divisions, what jobs, what can we do to break this down to give the kids some sort of a job within the company, and they apply for jobs in the company. We ended up coming up with a number of divisions in the company. And so everybody's got a job within the company. The kids apply for jobs, they get selected to be within one of the divisions. We've got a student CEO that manages the company and a COO on the team too. And those are positions that they work really hard to try to get selected for those positions. And we usually uh, we usually have 10 or 12 kids applying for that every year. But ultimately we end up with something that kind of looks like a company. and there's a ton of work because we end up making a lot of syrup. We end up bottling a lot and everybody's busy for about five periods out of the day. We work on this every day during sugaring season for about three weeks. And the kids absolutely eat it up. They go bananas, they love it. Kids on the boiling crew, they're with me staying after school most days. I come in on Saturdays because they, they, they want to be there, they want to boil, they don't want to miss a day of school. Some of them don't want to go on spring break, they'll beg to come boil while we're gone on break. Sometimes Mother Nature doesn't cooperate and so our spring break will fall right in the middle of our season. And the end goal is for them to do what? We have a big showcase. The kids publicly speak. That's a very important skill that we want to give the kids on our team so they have to get up tell an audience what they've done in their project, share a few pictures, then we open our store. And for a lot of our projects, that's what we like. We like some big culminating activity that's meaningful for the kids. It makes them give a lot more energy to our projects. So in our store, parents and community members can come and buy our products. We sell syrup, our candies. Every year we add a few more products. So each year we try to do something a little bit more challenging than we did the year before, but that culminating activity is is really impressive to our community, and the kids impress themselves. They can't wait to share with their parents, grandparents, anybody at home that takes care of them. means a lot to them. Now, neither one of you are certified agriculture teachers, and Malone does not have a middle or high school agriculture program. So why did you choose to focus such a large project around an agriculture industry? We knew the kids would love it. We knew, we knew this would work. We'd been teaching a while and we knew that, first of all, it's just a great time of year to get outside because you're chomping at the bits been a long winter. But we knew this is something that, as much as possible on, a, on our team, we think the best thing to do is to take and focus on kids' strengths as much as possible. The more I teach, the more I think maybe it is better to focus on their strengths. And we do that when we allow the kids to self-select what part of the company they want to join and what job they want. So everybody's got a, a niche that's just 
perfect for them. We figured that would work. We figured that would work because it doesn't look like normal school either. It looks a lot more like what you would see on a job. You know, the kids have timesheets and as much as possible we make it feel like a job. And they really respond to that. They all crank it up a notch because they know that ultimately, no matter what position they are in the company, they're going to be responsible in some way for that final product, whether they're boiling or collecting sap or designing labels or going to the radio station and making an ad. Everybody is a valuable piece of the puzzle. And that's not always the case in school. That's not always the case, but this makes everybody feel as if they belong. And even though we're not ag teachers, we grew up in this area. And so as teachers, we wanted to do a team project. We wanted to do a business with our children. And so we had to use a resource that was available to us. And we have the 30 big maple trees right on our own property. And we just ran with that idea. So even though we don't have that ag background, we had to tap into a resource that we had right here on campus that would be easy to use and we have plans in the future we're hoping to maybe tap some trees in the community our local rec park has over 100 trees we went and counted with the kids one day mm -hmm. and uh, that would be an excellent resource for the future we are getting a sugar house we had a person that watched our big culminating activity that gave us a donation for a sugar house they were impressed with our children so we keep expanding all the time, but it's just teachers being creative with what they have. That's what we have to do here. I also think kids crave something real. Yes. And ag is as real as it gets. You talked and briefly went through the different departments and their roles. Could we go through those a little more in depth, sure. maybe starting sure. with the data team? Sure. With the data team, we have a system for collection. Kids go out, they have their own trees. I have tree managers and tree specialists, and they have to keep track of sap production for each tree each day. They also measure bricks level, temperature of the sap, um, how many liters of sap their tree is getting, temperatures, and so they keep it in a data table. They're responsible for reporting that out to the rest of the business. They report to the CEO some of the information and the COO, and then they present it. They present it at our big showcase at the end. They also do a few experiments. We do stuff with viscosity of syrup. We do a bacteria experiment. We've tried running copper tubing before to see if it reduces the amount of bacteria in sap, so they take cultures. So there's a little bit of book work involved, but it's very hands-on, it's very outdoors, the kids are outside, sometimes we have to collect twice a day, some days we don't collect at all, so we have to have alternative activities, depends on what Mother Nature throws at us. So that's basically data in a nutshell. We work with Liz Moore, who does the candies and confections department, and they do, they do fantastic stuff. There's so much science going on in there, the kids don't even know necessarily what's going on. When I go in there, I see every day they're calibrating their stuff, they're measuring the air pressure, they're checking to see at what temperature water is boiling on that particular day uh, based on air pressure, because to really nail the candy, they've got to hit their temperatures exactly perfectly. And they crank out all oh, fantastic stuff, all sorts of beautiful maple candy, maple, what else did they do? They did new. They do the maple popcorn, maple cotton candy. 
Um, they do the lollipops, the sugar candies. I'm trying to think what They'll else. They'll also help done. us with bottling the stuff if we yes. get we got too much going on in the boiling crew so they'll come in and pinch hit for us they love that uh, there's a certain type of kid who's drawn to that and they do a great job at that and they make beautiful candies it was also really felt like a true food science lab when i walked in yes. there yes. it was notices on the doors about using you know this is a glove zone this is a sanitary zone mm-hmm. uh, they were really thoughtful about where their dirty dishes were and their clean dishes were mm-hmm. it was really impressive and i think they were also doing some um, technology work also because they were developing new recipes and then posting them to your website yes. Yes. yeah they do a lot of that they do a great job in there we have a research and development team in the past couple years, they've done some experiments with 3D printing. They've had the students design a new tap, mm-hmm. a maple tap, and print it out, test it out. So that department tries to come up with something innovative that we could use. They've also been looking at the diameter of the tubing that we use. And they've been doing some experiments the last couple of years. We, we don't have a vacuum system but you can develop vacuum with a narrow gauge tubing and enough elevation drop. And so they've been looking at that, and because of that, we switched to a narrower gauge tubing, and they were able to calculate how much more vacuum we could achieve by doing that. And so the kids have a great time doing that experiment. So they're taking tubing and running it out of, uh, out of windows, off ladders, at various heights to try and figure out, all right, how much faster can I go ahead and suck this sap through here based on the height I'm, I'm um, pulling it from and, and they do a nice job there. So that's our research and development team. One other really neat thing they do is while well, they've been saving seeds from our super tree, one of our 30 trees is a super tree which usually produces a sugar content of about 5% on a good day. So um, they've been growing uh, yes. trees from those seeds. And we've kept them, and this year, for the first time ever, we're going to give back. We're going to plant some here on the property, so we might not see them big someday, but uh, we're going to start replenishing our trees because we're starting to lose a few. We have trees that are well over 100 years old, so that's Mm -hmm. another cool thing that they've been doing as well as trying to propagate some of our seeds from our super tree. That's amazing. We've got a media marketing team, and... Mrs. Supernell runs the media marketing division and she does a great job with those kids. Those kids are they're doing ads at the radio station, they're doing social media work, they're doing ads in the newspaper. They do like a jingle, they sing their own song, they make t-shirts for a company. Yes, they uh, are involved in advertising, getting the word out as to when our big opening is going to be. I loved visiting because anywhere I went, because we were just popping all over into these different groups who were working, and you would just see a kid with a camera pop up, and he'd say, I'm on assignment. I have to get this shot and get it back for my press release or whatever it might be. Uh, And then one of the young ladies who was running the Instagram social media, I asked her, I go, are you doing some Instagram stories? She goes, oh no she goes you don't know what people might say and it's hard to edit those so they're very thoughtful about what message it is that they're putting out and that's a great lesson for all of our middle schoolers and high schoolers to learn about what goes out on social media it's very hard to take back and what message do you want to present Mm -hmm. to the world yeah and some of them it's obvious they're really talented at this they you know they've got a knack for it 
I see that when I look at what goes on in our newsroom. And we've got some kids who are trained to photograph, write stories. We get some beautiful pictures. We get some great stories. All that goes on the website. So our, 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 our newsroom does a great job. They get a lot of freedom. It's usually a smaller group, but they are given the freedom to cover the different divisions within the company. And they, and they love that. We put a lot of trust in our students. A lot of times they're trusted to be responsible to do things by themselves. They work with hot syrup, they work with fire, they load the boiler. Um, huge responsibility and they rise to the occasion. Absolutely. When, when given the responsibility, Absolutely. they rise to the occasion. Yep, they know what's at stake and they, they almost always make good decisions. The more independence and freedom you give them, they usually, they usually don't take advantage of that. They usually say, this is great, this is mm-hmm. special, I don't usually get this chance. And I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to ruin it, but they do, they do a great job when you treat them as if they are almost adults. One of our newest divisions that we'll be adding this year, we kind of added it last year, but we're definitely going full force with it. Uh, Mrs. Sanchez is going to be doing an outreach program where she takes students to the elementary schools. We're going to teach them about the process. The kids can teach. Peer tutoring is amazing. Peer teaching is amazing. The kids really rise to the occasion when you put them in that role. Uh, We did a little bit of it last year. We reached out to the North 100 preschools. Some of our students taught the preschoolers how to tap trees. And we had a lot of visitors last year. We brought in some of the elementary schools, some of our fifth graders, especially because they're going to be coming to our middle school. We're a six to eight school. It kind of makes them excited about that big transition to a new school. Now you also have an art department. You talked a little bit about them, but can you dig in a little bit deeper as to what they do? I'm actually wearing the shirt today. It's too bad you can't see it. I know. Oh, we'll take a picture. One one of the things we we like to do is, you know, have an element of competition on the team, whether it's for becoming the CEO or, in this case, coming up with a logo that's going to go on all of our bottles. And the art department, they do a great job there. Kate Fisk works with the art students. And there's always our best artists sign up. They're all really fantastic logos. But the kids vote on one and we go with it. And so they do a lot of, obviously, design work, design for the logo, design for other things that we're going to be using to advertise. In the past, they had built a model, the sugar house, that's currently being built out there. When I went to go visit, just to pop in, that they were actually practicing cutting circles. Mm-hmm because they wanted to make sure every label that went on your bottles were perfect. I thought that was so interesting. Yes, we make sure that they're very well done. They can't be cut out any old way. Um, And she'll make the kids do it again if it's not done right the first way, which I think is a very valuable experience. It needs to look very professional. Now, George, why don't you talk a little bit about your boiling crew? What's their job? One of my favorite days is when we kind of kick off the project. And this isn't exactly what my boiling crew does. But after everybody gets their job, and the first day we think that we're going to have a run, we go out, we show the kids how to go ahead and tap and get things running. And we just take about an hour, and we go out, and we tap all the trees on campus. And from there, the boiling crew kind of takes over. Kitty's, uh, her crew is delivering the sap to us, and we're boiling it, we're splitting wood. And the other thing I like to do with my crew is I assign them to come up with a how-to video that they're going to go ahead and post on YouTube about some aspect of tapping, boiling, 
bottling, how to properly do it, how to stay safe, how to determine how much syrup you're going to end up with based on the sugar content, you name it. So I'll assign uh, small groups of kids. They have to go write their script, film their video, and they, they enjoy doing that. I've got, I usually get the kids, they sign up who, they want to be outside, they don't mind being cold, they'd, be, they'd love to sit out there and split wood all day long. Uh, I get some interesting uh, folks and uh, we have a good time, we have a good time. I think your boiling crew was so fun, and I love that there was a young lady who was yeah, on absolutely. that we're boiling crew we're also. Equal, we are equal opportunity, absolutely. Yes. yes. So when I came to visit last year, I remember just being amazed by everything I saw, and there were so many moving parts to your day. I think I was most impressed by how seriously your students took their jobs and how self-directed they were in their work. You as teachers were just facilitating the experience, but they were truly leading the discussions, the strategies, and taking ownership over the project. How do you build that sense of independence and drive within your students? We do a lot of work up front. It doesn't look like much work when you just drop by, but it's a lot of work. But it's all front-loaded. I mean, once things get moving in the right direction, it just happens. And you know, we nudge and we guide, and from day to day we need to steer things a little bit. But we've been doing it long enough now that we can sense if a kid's got a certain idea, we can steer it in a productive direction, and we've also seen what directions work and which directions don't work. So some of it might look effortless in some ways, but there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work. But once it gets up and rolling... It's easy. I, it is easy, and the kids surprised me. We we're giving uh, a presentation to the Rotary Club last year, and the Rotary Club was asking questions that were increasingly more difficult. And I almost think that they had forgotten they were talking to eighth graders, and some of the older members of the Rotary Club just became so interested, and those kids could answer every question. And they got to one question, and they directed it to me. And I didn't know the answer, but a kid did. And it was a formula about how fast sugar maples grow versus red maple. It was just some esoteric, goofy stuff that the kids knew. So the, the kids roll with it. The kids learn. And this is the one project where kids learn more than I would have thought they would. Mm -hmm. You know, when I'm teaching a normal science unit, I hope kids are going to get oh, 75 to 95% of what I'm presenting. In this, they get 150% of what we present, and then they take it from there. And because it's an agriculture project, and they can live it, they can go home and live it, they can see it right out the window, it's high interest. Mm -hmm. When you pick a high interest project like that, that does come naturally. So just to kind of wrap up our conversation, what are you most proud of with your maple syrup brand, Grit Untapped? What's your proudest accomplishment in the last five or six years? I think every single year it has helped multiple kids feel good about themselves. When kids come up to me in town and they boiled with me and they worked with me, they're so they're, they're glad to see me. You know, kids look at me different than when I was I'll put it when I was let's say a, a normal teacher, a traditional teacher. I, that that's uh, very gratifying. Well, we can't thank you enough for outstanding in our field. 
to have you on our podcast to be exceptional New York State teachers uh, and really be a shining example of what project-based learning and agriculture can do to impact student learning and uh, in what's happening in our classrooms across the state. So thank you both so much for doing this. I appreciate your support and your kind words and your encouragement. It, It makes us feel like what we're doing is the right thing for kids. Well, I hope you enjoyed our sweet maple episode today. Be sure to follow our podcast on Instagram at Outstanding in Their Field Podcast, our website, and our Facebook page. For more information on New York agriculture in the classroom, visit www.agclassroom.org forward slash NY. Visit the show notes to learn more about today's guests and follow their adventures on the farm and in the classroom. For now, thanks for listening. And stay tuned for next time when we hear from more folks who are outstanding in their fields.